Good morning, I'm Anna Marie, and it's time again for Focus. It's a closer look at people, places, and things, organizations that are right here in our community to help us out. So today, our special guest is Clark Flatt, and he's going to tell us about the Jason Foundation. Welcome. Anna, glad to be here. Okay, what is the Jason Foundation? Well, the, the Jason Death Foundation is a organization for the awareness and prevention of youth and young adult suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're 26 years old, we'll be 26 years old in uh, October 1st. Oh, my goodness. And so we've been around a while. So will you tell people how the Jason Foundation got started and how it tries to fulfill its mission? Sure. Yeah. It really started on a personal note. Uh, I was uh, an owner of an insurance company, had the uh, your uh, middle income family with the, the wife, the two kids, the uh, the dog, the cat that was a little snickery, mm-hmm. uh, overlooking the lake, uh, a successful business. Both kids were really great, and uh, but yet on July the 16th, 1997, uh, we lost our youngest son, Jason, who was age 16, to suicide. It was something that really, you know, took us back, uh, our, our family, our friends, even the community. Yeah. And so we, looking at the, I had some friends keep asking me about, did I understand what happened to Jason? I mean, he was your solid BC student, uh, like he's a good old dad. Uh, wasn't your valedictorian, a very good athlete, a lot of friends, no drug or alcohol issues, uh, just somebody you would look at and say, that's the all American kid. Mm -hmm. Yet on July the 16th, uh, 1997, he decided to take his life after finding, I was the one that found Jason. And as I came home and found him, I, it it was devastating. I I think that if you lose a son or daughter or a child anyway, uh, it is so disruptive, but when I found him, I couldn't understand w- why he would do something like this. I didn't say that's not the kind of young person that I had in my mind would would take his or her own life. Right. And so uh, I, at the urging of a friend, we started looking at it. I said, OK, I want to understand this. Of course, this is 1997. Uh, I had the old Radio Shack computer and the AOL that you had to, to log on to. And I went on. And I still remember putting down just youth suicide mm-hmm. uh, and the first thing that came up on that old black screen with the with the green uh, letters was <laughs> was from the C- CDC said suicide at that time was the third leading cause of death for young people ages 15 to 24. That Anna took me back. I I had gone to every PTO, every PTA, every church type of gathering, anything about how to protect my two boys and give them the safest best life I could. There was seminars on drugs and alcohol. Even in 1997, there was seminars on bullying. It was different. But there were seminars on bullying. But no one had ever offered a seminar on youth suicide awareness and prevention. You know, what you could do to find if somebody might be struggling and then let alone what you could do if you saw that. So my family and a small group of friends started the Jason Foundation uh, October 1st of 1997, Mm -hmm. simply with the, uh, the goal of educating parents, not scaring them. But educating parents that, hey, it's the third leading most likely thing to take your son or daughter's life is suicide. Wow. And uh, we wanted to explain what were some of the warning signs, what were some of the things to look for, Mm -hmm. uh, what resources were available. But in 1997, it was very slim, what resources. So that's how we got started, just on a kitchen table in the back of an insurance uh, uh, office uh, that uh, we would gather around after work and bring in young people, other volunteers, uh, and put together these programs to go out and educate parents, we hoped, at PTOs and PTAs. Uh, but today, I'm proud to say we're considered here, out of uh, Hendersonville, Tennessee, uh, a national leader in youth and young adult suicide awareness and prevention. But it all started 
on that kitchen table in 1997. When people asked you what happened, did you eventually come to something that you were able to say as an answer? Well, I, I, th- I really think that starting the Jason Foundation was the therapeutic thing for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt I needed to put some, some rationale, some reasoning. How did something as terrible as, as suicide happen to my family, to my son? Uh, I, I needed something to, to wrap my hands around and say this was it. And when I found suicide, I sort of personalized it. I said, this is the demon that, that took my son, and I'm going to do everything I can to keep that demon from affecting another family or another individual. Yeah. Uh, so that was my motive of, of starting it. And, and uh, when we saw it start gathering steam, uh, uh, probably then uh, in, in the late um, 97 and the first of 98 is when we signed on a national uh, spokesperson. Uh, and it was my youth. Uh, we had a youth board and it was uh, I needed something for them to do. And so they said they was going to find me a national spokesperson. And this was funny. In, 19, in the spring of 1998, nobody knew about us outside of the greater Nashville area. Not many people in that area. Uh, but so but I let them do it because I didn't have anything else for them to do. I said, sure, come up with a national spokesperson. And they got Coach Philip Fulmer. Uh, they sent him a letter. I had never met Coach Fulmer. Uh, they sent him a letter, told him what we were trying to do and ask him to be our national spokesperson. I thought we would never hear anything from it. And, uh, two weeks later he calls me and said, what can I do to help you? Wow. And it started there. Coach Fulmer got involved. He got us in front of some other people. Pretty soon we had Mark Rick. We had Nick Saban. We had some people back in, this is in 98, uh, saying, what can we do to help you get these programs? And of course we saw the need greater than just parents. We saw the students, the young people themselves needed programs, resources, tools, yeah. teachers, teachers. Uh, we can talk about it in a minute. I still believe teachers can make the largest impact on youth suicide in a state. If you're looking at one single type of effort you can do. I just got through. We had a, a long conversation with with the uh, child advocacy groups in uh, New York last week. And that's what I told them. The most thing you can do is, first of all, train your teachers not to be counselors. Uh, but to train them to be better able to recognize a student who might be struggling with suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. uh, and, and know how to appropriately respond to that student. That's so important. Not just seeing it, but how do I respond to it? So training our teachers is probably our number one program. Uh, we train over 190,000 teachers a year. Whoa. Yeah. Do you find that death by suicide does expand from, and the things that you've learned about, Suicide yeah. does work in all age groups, but you guys have to narrow your focus so you can well, do yeah, it. Yeah, because of what resources we provide. Yeah, some of the warning signs are what I'd rather call them signs of concern are the same no matter what the age group is. It might be expressed a little differently, oh. but they're, they're the same uh, basic warning signs and things to do it. I think what we try to do is center in on what our expertise was. We used to do mostly just 10 to 24, and we've increased that through 34. We're seeing a huge um uh, increase in what we believe from what we've worked with from that age group 24 to 34 uh, it's really growing very rapidly but it is in in most age groups and uh, we just got the notice from the cdc last week that in 2022 there was a record number of and we're talking about all, all age groups a record number of suicide deaths in the united states it had never been that high almost 50,000. it was just incredible the the increase and so we're seeing it uh, affect all age groups. But, of course, our center is really started out with the middle and high school groups. But uh, we're seeing it at both ends now. It is really increasing. 
to what do they attribute the rise in suicides in 2022? Well, you know, I, I hate kicking the, because I get tired of hearing about the pandemic. Yeah. You know, you know, right now, if I order a, a ream of paper, they say we can't get it to you when you want because of the pandemic. It's getting less, but that's sort of a standard excuse for people. But in mental health, it's, it's proving out to be true. Uh, the pandemic has caused a, a, a really rise in mental health issues, especially mm-hmm. for our youth and young adults. Some of the things that we did to combat COVID, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have done it. I'm not judging government on what, what action. We did the best we could do with the information we had as far as the government. But the things we did, the social isolation, mm-hmm. disruption of the peer support groups, those things of shutting schools down, everything like that really are the prime prime suspects for increasing mental health issues within our young people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, social isolation, for sure. Uh, it, it and that was across people. the board. It was across the board. And it, and it happened several times. We were really, I guess, uh, getting very disruptive by it starting and stopping. If you remember, school would start up. And, and we're talking about just not Tennessee. We operate in all 50 states. Yeah. It would start up in one area and we'd be ramping up to try to meet the needs and then it would shut down. Say, nope, we need to shut down and we need to. So this starting and stopping really caused a lot of, of mental stress on our, our youth and young adults. We're just now seeing the big impact of it. And, and it's going to go on. It's not cresting now. We're probably going to see this impact, in my opinion, and some, quote, experts we talked to probably for several more years. And the impact meaning? Uh, the rise in anxiety, depression, uh, suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's something that we're seeing impact greatly now. And then when you throw in the rise of drugs and alcohol, the, the impact that uh, OUDs, opioid use disorders, and substance use disorders have on uh, suicide and suicide ideation, mm-hmm. um, it, it's, it's, it's very much related with each other. What is suicide ideation? Suicide is the the thinking about suicide, the 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 impulse for if I have if I say someone has suicide ideation, that means that they're having thoughts of suicide of of really considering that might be an an answer to a problem as they see it. Mm-hmm. An answer to the pain or yes. isolation. What tools are you able to use to help counter that? The people who have had the uh, the isolation and the depression and right. the and possible drug use or alcoholism, right. things that they were doing to numb themselves and get through the time. What do you do to counter that? Well, you know, first of all, identifying them. You know, the Jason found we don't provide uh, clinical counseling. We mm-hmm. don't provide those services. We do know the protocols of where to find those, no matter where you are in the country. Yeah. Uh, but what we, you, you, it's no reason talking about treating them if you haven't recognized. That's the that's the hardest problem of seeing somebody when they're starting to struggle with those thoughts of suicide and then to identify that person and then not be the person that actually does the counseling, not be the person that just says, I'm going to help you solve your problems, but be part of the team that's going to help that individual. Sometimes it takes uh, professional help. Sometimes it takes even medication in concert with medical help as far as counseling. Yeah. Uh, But it's a, it can be a complex issue. What our job is with the Jason Foundation is is trying to enable people to have the tools and resources to better identify, to know what some of the warning signs are. And then if they haven't got a, a personal protocol to tell them some of the guidelines they can use to get someone help. Of course, we work a lot with schools and helping them develop a protocol. Uh, in 97, early 2000, 
it was not unusual to find a school that didn't have a protocol or if mm. they did, they didn't know where it was at. Right. Uh, but it, that as the good news is that's getting less and less. Most schools now have a very active uh, protocol on how to help a student with emotional or, or mental health issues. Uh, and so, but getting them to that is still the things and, and the impact. I mean, we were talking earlier about the statistics right now in, in the nation suicide is the second most likely thing to take a young person's life ages 10 to 24. Wow. How many people know that? You know, especially if you talk about the ages 12 to 18, your middle and high school, the second most likely thing to take their life in America today is suicide. And I one that really, uh, it, it sets up my antenna is the ages 10 to 14 used to be in 10 to 14. It was not even statistically viable to report that. Uh, it was so low. And I'm talking about going back 26 years, but we see it kept increasing and increasing. And today in America and our, our latest results from the CDC, suicide's the second leading cause of death for 10 to 14 year olds in America. Now, number wise, it's still low, but percentage wise, what we're talking about being the second leading cause. Uh, what is the first? Well, the first is the same. And when you're talking about 10 to 14 or 10 to 24 or 12 to 18, and it's, it's a, it's an issue that I have raised many times with our government that ranks the one, the Samson, the CDC ramps, uh, ranks one through 10 items, two through 10 are single items such as suicide, homicide, things like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when you look at number one, it's a group. It's the only one out of one out of 10 is a group and it's called unintentional injuries. Now, it's important to find out what they mean and how they define unintentional injuries. That's your car accidents. That's your drug overdoses that it's, in, that it's uh, classified as unintentional. Oh, wow. And, and those are the two biggies. Now, there are the falls and the regular things you would call unintentional injuries. Yeah. But in my opinion, especially the drug overdoses, uh, you know, you can have several times a lethal dose of drugs in your body. If you didn't tell somebody you did it intentionally or left a note, it's probably put down as unintentional drug overdose. And there's a large number. Just saw the, uh, was talking with some of our folks that were working with a special program on OUDs. It just came out that in 2022 also, we had over 101,000 overdose deaths. And, and 80% of those were opioids. So opioid, uh, what did you call it, OUD? OUD, uh, it is the opioid use, use disorder. disorder. Mm-hmm. And so it is a possibility that a, a, a lot of those were probably suicides, you know, that were that were intentional overdoses. Mm-hmm. Now, there are those that would say, well, hey, wait, the way the fentanyl is is in, is getting mixed into it is accidental. They mm-hmm. didn't know that. And that that is true. There's a lot of that. But for sure, there's a lot of, in my opinion, um, drug overdoses that were done intentionally. That's reported as unintentional. Yeah. You take that and car accidents and all this, put it to and that's number one. But, so you can say the impact of suicide. If nothing else, and, and it's not to scare your listeners, but to, to say if you have a son or daughter, grandson or granddaughter, or the kid next door uh, is in that range of 10 to 24. Just remember the second most likely way to, to lose their life would be to suicide. Uh, and so you have to learn about the warning signs. You've got to be the worst thing a parent can do when I get to talk to parent groups is start off with the not my kid syndrome. Terrible. Mm. Second leading cause of death. I can't believe all these stats. We got to do something about it, but I don't have to worry about my son or daughter because he or she is the straight A student or the honor roll student, the head of the football team or cheerleaders Mm -hmm. or the chess team in student government. I've just named you the number one young person we're losing in America today uh, to suicide. Yet very few people have that picture in their mind. 
So the not my kid syndrome is the worst thing that a, that a parent can have. Not that you have to get up daily and say, are, are you suicidal today? You don't become preoccupied with it. But just like we worry about bullying, we worry about drugs, we worry about alcohol, parents need to educate themselves. Our, our teachers need to educate themselves about how to recognize those warning signs. I'm proud to say Tennessee has been a leader since uh, the early 2000s. Uh, we were one of the first ones to pass a mandatory training for teachers in, uh, in suicide awareness and prevention. So um, Tennessee is really, and our, 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 um, no matter what your political affiliations is, our legislative body and our governors and Department of Mental Health here in Tennessee have really been working hard to help uh, provide the tools and resources uh, for individuals as well as communities uh, to address this. So if you're just joining us, I'm Anna Marie, and this is Focus, and we're talking today with Clark Flatt. He's the founder and president of the Jason Foundation. Uh, they're raising awareness, and they want to raise awareness of suicide and prevention right. of suicide for uh, young people between 10 and 34. Yes, that's yes, our sir. specialty group. Now, you said one of the goals is to train teachers and to train parents to see right. the warning signs or the red flags right. or what did you call them? The uh, signs of concern. Signs of concern. I like to say signs. Of, uh, warning signs say if you see A, more than likely B is going to happen. Uh, and a lot of people call these warning signs. I call them signs of concern along with some other clinicians that we work with because when you see one of these, it doesn't necessarily mean suicide is a result. It yeah. does mean you need to have it in the back of your mind that this is, especially you start seeing them in combination. Like what? Tell, tell us what are well, some of the Well, signs. there's some of the signs that are general signs, and I'll go very quickly with this because it can get, you know, these training sessions get long. Uh, such things as suicide threats. Now, it can be as obvious as somebody telling you, uh, you know, I'm going to kill myself. Mm -hmm. You'd be amazed at how many times that we're brought in for what they call postvention after the event. And we find out the individual had communicated to friends or sometimes even teachers or other people around them about uh, their wish to die. You know, I'd like to, I, I just want to kill myself. Now, a lot of people say that out of frustration. So yeah. you don't want to throw them down and tackle them when they somebody says, I just want to die. But I think you have to take notice of that. It can be a little more subtle, though, these suicide threats, what we call suicide threats. You ever heard someone say, uh, nobody would ever miss me if I wasn't here. Oh, you know, that's a suicide threat. That's that's envisioning, you know, I don't matter. And and nobody would even notice if I'm not here. Mm -hmm. You have to take those types of expressions seriously. You hear someone say that, like I said, not not a 911 call, but say I'm here. You mean you're not thinking about hurting yourself, are you? Mm -hmm. And then you have a chance to tell them how much they mean to you or you're there to help them. I might not be a counselor, but. I'll be in it with you. I'll help you find help if that's where we're at. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, it's going to be a situation where, no, it's just an expression, but, but that's still one of the warning signs. Previous suicide at attempts is a big one. Uh, you'd be amazed at how many times we were brought in on one that the, 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 we're there for the tragedy of suicide, but it's happened or the attempt has been there one or two other times before this fatal uh, event. We have to take those suicide attempts seriously i, I hate the, i've heard what i even call some professionals use the word uh half-hearted suicide attempts you know they took uh four tylenol and yeah. well, it doesn't matter you know how serious it, if they had that intention of harming them so we have to take those serious uh and get them help uh, that's a biggie uh, uh, early on we had a hard time with especially some teachers who were well-meaning that would be they would find out about a suicide attempt and talk to a young person and they say, oh, I was just down. I'll never do that. And they say, well, if you promise not to ever do that, 
you know, we'll just keep it between us. Worst thing you can do. If somebody ever attempts to harm themselves, you got to get them help. So previous suicide, of course, there's a couple that goes together. Depression has always been called the number one leading cause of suicide attempts or suicides, no matter what age group you're at. Yeah. De- depression. Depression is sometimes hard to define, though. Some people are depressed, eat everything that doesn't get out of their reach, and others don't eat at all. Some sleep, some don't sleep. Mm-hmm. We tie it with the next one called out-of-character behavior. This is a good one for everyone because if someone is acting uh, out of character as you know he or she to be, and that can be somebody who's always on time but who now is never on time, someone who likes to go shopping every time you even mention the, the, the mall or going out, but doesn't want to shop at all. Somebody who loses interest in a sport that they've really been interested in out of character for an individual. Does it mean that the he or she is suicidal? No, but it means something's going on in their life significant enough that you've noticed it. Yeah. And that's a time to bring up to that person. I see this, you know, you, you used to love to play this sport. You used to like to go shopping. You used to like to go out to do this, or you had a great interest in chess. Now you don't care. Why did you lose that interest? And by asking that question, you are getting somebody to open up and talk. And I've talked to hundreds of young people who have attempted suicide. I can tell without exception, not a single one of them wanted to die. But what they got to a point is they were willing to die to let the pain stop. We have to show people there's a way to get that pain to stop without going to that extreme of of harming yourself. So this out-of-character behavior is a way people express of getting people to ask them what's going on. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last one I would say is, is giving away prized possessions, you know, oh. giving away something meaningful to you. Again, does it mean they're suicidal? No. I always tell somebody, if somebody gives you something very meaningful, thank them for it and then say, can I ask you why you're giving it to me right now? Right. And they might say, cause I just want you to have it. I just, I, I just love you as a friend so much. And that's great. You'd be amazed though, that people use that as an opportunity. I give you a prized possession. If you, you should ask me why. And then I can say, I don't need it anymore. Oh, you know, they're wanting to reach out. So these are some of the general ones, but, but it's just say, you know, basic rule of thumb. If you ever think about there's possibility someone might be, uh, thinking about harming themselves, get help. Don't, don't delay. Don't say, well, I'm going to watch them a few days. Always take action as soon as you can. So what do you do? How do you get help? How do well, you take action? The, the first thing is, uh, no, don't know you're a counselor yourself. I've been doing this 26 years, and I wouldn't do a counseling for it. Uh, but uh, there's several things. If you think it's an emergency place, I mean, the person says, yes, I'm going to do it, and you think that they really have a motivation to act then and there, uh, either get them to a responsible adult if you're another young person, or you stay with them till you can get some more responsible adults. 911. It is an extreme case, but that's sometimes the best thing you can do to save someone's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in, in, in Nashville, they have it in most major cities. Uh, police have a, uh, uh, a department that deals with mental health crises that they'll go along with the officers. So if you think it's an emergency, 911 is always the best. Of course, we have now where they converted this long toll-free number down to 988. 988 is anywhere in the nation you can call and it will connect you to the closest crisis intervention certified crisis line on suicide awareness and prevention uh, that's in the nation. So here in Nashville, you're connected to the closest one or wherever you might be in the country. It's 988. It's a good thing. And it's not just if you're having the problem. Most people think I can only call that if I'm in crisis. It, you can call it if you're there and you're trying to help a friend or a, a, a young person or a student. 
you can call 988 and say, I'm here dealing with someone that I'm concerned about. What should I do? Mm -hmm. And they will have the most up-to-date local resources that they can get you to. Why do we not know about 988? Why has that not been? I would tell you, you're saying something that the, the government rolled this out on July the 16th of, of last year of uh, 2022. And the rollout's gone in and uh, they've put millions and millions of dollars into this as, as the federal government. And yet still, like you say, a lot of people are not aware of 988. We do a tremendous amount of social media uh, um, that, that we, we try to stress it as much as we can. But you're right. The things with the shows like you're doing here, let people know about 988 is something you can call if there is a, a crisis situation, mm-hmm. not only for yourself, but if you were trying to help somebody else. And it's a mental health crisis. Well, it, it, they would really, it's a crisis intervention line. But if you do 98 and you ask for the, the mental health part, you're connected to the one that's certified. Not all okay. are, are, are equipped as they should be on this, in okay. my in my opinion. But you're you're connected. You will find help if you do 988 in the country. So every year there's a suicide prevention month. Yes. And I think it's in September. September every year. Do you know why? You know, I I can't say officially. I know I can say my feelings on it is because uh, we're starting up school. Mm-hmm. And, and we do see a lot of, of rise in mental health needs for especially young people. I'm not sure it's just because school started that made the emotional and the behavioral needs go up. We have long relied upon schools. If you look at it historically, most uh, uh, of the mental health needs are identified from September to May. And that's because that's when our our students are, uh, I mean, our kids are in school. We've relied upon our teachers, our schools to identify and also secure some some possible resources for us to get the help. Wow. In June, July, and August, people, they're out of school. So you don't have that referral. We saw that happen in COVID when they shut the schools down. The mental health needs or requests went way down. Oh. And we thought, well, it's not going to have a negative effect. COVID's not going to do it. It wasn't it didn't have a negative effect. We didn't have that, that protocol in place to identify them. Wow. They wasn't in school. Yeah. So, and uh, parents d- didn't know what to look and for. That's right. And parents and pastors and people in the neighborhood didn't. And you, so that's why we've made a big change in ours to make sure that not only teachers are trained, they, they are a big thing, but the parents need to be trained. Your, your clergy needs to be trained. Yeah. So you have multiple areas watching over these young people and young adults. Are there certain times of year when suicide is more prevalent? You know, most people think that it's the holidays. I, and, of I course, would. that does be more impactful because you hear about it. You go, oh, this is very sad. But historically, it's the spring. The hmm. spring has been. I've heard all kinds of, of rationale about why the spring. But to, I really don't believe anybody that I've heard has a real, real uh, hold on why then. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, it, the springtime has been one of the highest high, uh, historically. What about differences in males and females, the numbers? Well, you know, the, the, the uh, females attempt at, a, at almost three to one to, to males. They attempt at a much greater rate. However, males complete suicide at, at a higher rate. Mm-hmm. And it's usually because of choice of methods. Girls have historically chosen drugs as their method of attempting suicide. Mm-hmm. Boys have historically chosen firearms. Oh, wow. Firearms doesn't give you much of a chance to intervene. Right. You know, and drugs many times will. Is there anything that you would like to say if there's someone who's listening and either realizing that 
they are at mm-hmm. risk or they know somebody who might be at risk, what would you like to tell them? It, it would be the same either way, whether you're at, you really struggling yourself or you know someone you think might be struggling, take action, reach out, even if it's 988 or if it's calling a, a teacher or a trusted adult, you know, or a friend that, you know, you know, conveying them that you're struggling and you need help or that you know of somebody that's struggling and you think might need help. There's far too many times we talk to someone that said, you know, I thought something wasn't right and I, I just was waiting. I was thinking maybe it was just a phase they were going through. If you have a concern, whether it's about yourself or others, take action. Where would the lay person start? Well, if it's not, doesn't seem to be a crisis. It doesn't seem to be an emergency. 988 would be the best one. If you don't have a, if you don't have a structure or if it's in school, most schools now have a, a really either they they have their counseling center themselves or a counselor or counselors, mm-hmm. or they have access to a, a district uh, school mental health uh, counselor. So if it's the school, you might talk to your school and I'll call the, the school and say, I need to talk to the counselor. I have a concern about my son or daughter. Or if you're a student, let a counselor know, let a teacher know you have a concern. Okay. That's a good place to start. Yes. Any final thoughts where, uh, any final thoughts that you'd like to say that I've neglected to ask? No, it's just awareness is, is the building block for prevention. And I appreciate you helping us build awareness. Thank you. Clark Flatt, the founder and president of the Jason Foundation. And their mission again is? The awareness and prevention of youth suicide. And we're proud to be headquartered in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. We'll post all the information and some links. And of course, the crisis line as well on our Focus Facebook page. Please make sure you join us again next week. I'm Anna Marie and that's Focus. Focus.